Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel can't be with us today, but he will be returning shortly. They called me Ben. Uh, we are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we're going back to the roots of conspiracy stuff, of stuff they don't want you to know. When Matt and I started this show... Quite some time ago, if time is not a construct, we loved examining cover-ups, we loved examining conspiracy theories, we also loved examining the paranormal. Um, One of the very first conversations, Matt, that you and I had uh, a while back when we first met was indeed about stuff like the Twilight Zone and X-Files, which still weirds me out because it was like my first day or week on the job and I probably should have been asking work questions. No, I think that was right on the money. I solidified something, right? So we both <laughs> went, oh, uh-huh, yeah, and got the popcorn. Like, just tell me more <laughs> <laughs> right. about how yeah. much you're into this because I'm in it too. Uh, yeah, we, we love paranormal stuff. I, I think that, I don't know, the folklore to it is always the most fascinating. I think when we dive deep into these topics like we're going to get into today, what are the roots of these stories that, get spread and continue spreading and everybody tells their kids. Mm-hmm. And why do some stay at the status of local legends or family tales? And why do others spread across the world, across generations, across civilizations from the ancient times to the modern day? It's a weird question. And it's, it's something that we're going to attempt to answer in today's episode. Uh, we are, 
I don't know. I was thinking about how I was thinking of the best way to get into this. Uh, have you ever picked up a hitchhiker or have you ever hitchhiked? Not once, neither. Not once, not never, huh? Okay. <laughs> well, your mileage may vary, folks. Oh, that's a terrible, terrible pun. But uh, everybody, I think, has at some point maybe seen a mysterious, bizarre, extraordinary person, right? You might not have talked to them, but they may be imprinted on your memory today. Like, um, Matt, I will always remember, um, just for one example, I was reading Borges on a public transit, right? And stopping in a train station. And I turned to look. There was another train across the platform going in a different direction. I turned to look and there was this lady staring at me. And I was by the window. I was holding this book. And uh, she held up the exact same, not just the same book, but the exact same trade paperback version of Labyrinths by Borges. And then we just stared at each other and the train took off in those opposite directions. Whoa. I, ima- I imagine we will never meet again. But ben, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a movie, Ben. You're just remembering a movie you saw one time. I'm just joking. That's like a movie moment, you know? It was, yeah. You know, and if we had talked, it might have ruined it. But, you know, <laughs> fellow Borges fan, uh, <laughs> great taste in books, I guess. Uh, and that was that was not a supernatural nor a, uh, extraordinary circumstance necessarily, right? That's, that's just a very bizarre coincidence. But if you ask a lot of people, especially here in the West, about a strange or disturbing person they may have seen, then they may have told you a story about a ghostly entity that's said to roam across the North and South of America, Mexico, and the Southwestern U.S. and Central America in particular, an entity known as La Llorona, or the Weeping Woman, or the Wailing Woman. Now, have you heard this story before, Matt? Have you heard this legend? Yes, most definitely. Going back to those old conversations we had. Um, (laughs) And it's, it really, it's a story that sticks with you when you hear it as maybe an outsider from those areas that we just mentioned, where this story is very common. It it hits hard because depending on which version you're told, it is creepy. It is, is really one of those things because there's sound associated with the tale, right? There's almost always a sound. There's almost always a lurking figure and then often a chasing figure, right? Which really just mm, amps up the fear and danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as we've said before and stuff, they don't want you to know, just as a disclaimer, regardless of your personal beliefs or experiences with the supernatural, whether or not you believe in ghosts, if you are in uh, an unfamiliar territory and someone tells you sincerely that a place is haunted, just don't go. You know <laughs> what I mean? Don't be that guy in the movie. Just don't don't mess with it. Well, yeah, and that's a really good point, too, because even if it's not something paranormal, maybe there are tales about it being haunted because there's a person or a bad group of people around there that are blamed, you know, or are a part of this thing that becomes a tale. You never know. You never know. (laughs) 
you never know like that uh old uh oh gosh it's not that old that documentary uh about a supposedly haunted abandoned mental facility session nine uh no no this i it turned out to be true though it turned out to be partially based in truth there was a former resident i want to say start with a b i can't remember anyway it's like an urban legend and the documentarians along the way found the um the root of the story well anyway story for another day gather around the campfire folks here are the facts if you're from mexico the u.s central or south america maybe further afield these days you've heard some version of the legend of La Llorona. Yeah, and as we said, there are many different versions of it, variations on a theme here that can they continue to be told today. Um, oh, yeah, let's do this. Let's give a shout out to The Weeping Woman, Encounters with La Llorona by Edward Garcia Kral and Judith Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-Y. Uh, it's got all kinds of different versions of the tale and... You know, alleged encounters with something that is supposedly La Llorona. And again, whether it's a sound or a woman whose face is changed or something like that. But uh, I guess let's let's give you um, a version of it so that you can have uh, an understanding. Then we'll talk about the variations. Once upon a time, the tour guide said, back in the turn of the century, there was this this little boy who lived on a farm by a lake. This was a big operation, huh? what you call it, an estate. And the boy's family had lots of servants, and his family was very rich. Being rich don't make you happy, you know. This this kid is miserable. His mother died when he was young. Because the boy was the son of the patron, the wealthy owner. And because all the other boys his age were sons of the servants, this little boy had no real friends. His father, who was a very nasty guy, wouldn't let him talk to the other kids. So this boy, he just wanders around the estate when he isn't with his tutor. His friends become the birds, the trees, the little frogs hopping along the shore. While he's distant from most things, he's a smart kid. He's heard the rumors, the things adults say when they think children aren't listening. And you know it's surprising what children can understand. He hears these whispers about his old man doing things to women on the farm. It's all hushed up, and he owns the police, and sometimes the women disappear. The kid don't think much of it, but he does like the mystery. Kids love mysteries, right? So the tour guide says one night, the little boy wanders out along the lake, and he sees this lady along the shore. At first he thinks she's kinda walking or maybe dancing kinda. He sneaks up as close as he dares, hiding in the bushes until he sees her feet aren't touching the ground. He can even, he thinks, sorta see through her if he squints hard enough. And as he watches, she opens her mouth and she screams. All right, and that is uh, that is featuring the talents of uh, voice actor Jay Jones. Uh, this comes to us 
from 12 Ghost, which is a, um, a fiction anthology that came out in December that Matt UEP'd along with Aaron Mankey. And um, we can tell you conclusively this version of the tale is not true because it is from a work of fiction. Also, shout out to Chris Child, sound designer on that. <laughs> yes. Yes, but it is based on the tale of La Llorona, right? Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Uh, and this has a lot of those commonalities. Do check out uh, 12 Ghosts if you, if you get a chance, if you, if you like spooky fiction. Um, you'll notice that the, the character who is telling us the story pronounces it La Llorona instead of La Llorona. There's a reason for that. And what is that reason? Well, you have to listen to find out. Call that a tease in the business, right? And you can find out more by going to grimandmild.com slash 12 ghosts. That's the numbers one, two, and then ghosts. Perfect. And Matt, I love that you're pointing out commonalities in this, right? Because we have both read a lot of different versions of this story. And they, they, the modern ones primarily seem to focus on um, an indigenous woman, indigenous American woman, who has born children, consensually or non-consensually, with, with a wealthy person from Spain or someone descended uh, from the days of Spanish contact. And this harrowing personal tragedy drives her to madness. The, uh, the wealthy guy abandons her or the wealthy guy commits murders, or the wealthy guy commits infidelity. And this character, regardless of how they find themselves there, they are consigned to a hellish afterlife where they wander along the shore of a body of water, weeping, wailing, lamenting. And then it gets worse, right? Like we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, in some versions, La Llorona is not just sad, but she could also be a threat to the living. Is that correct? Yeah. But what's really important here is that in many of them, she kills her kids out of the whatever terrible situation she's in or what she's going through. Sometimes she just goes mad and kills her children. And like, that's, that's why she's so scary, I think. Because she committed some terrible, heinous, many would say evil act, right? And then she's out there weeping, and for one reason or another, she either doesn't know that her children are dead, or she doesn't know what she did to them, right? And she's still looking for her children. Um, and that whole, like, seeking out another child is a really important aspect often to the tale, because it means if you are a child and out near the lake, the water, whatever body of water it is, or just at night or three days after it rained, depending on which tale you've heard, she could be coming after you because she thinks you might be one of her kids. Yeah, and put yourself in the moment, folks. Uh, the first things that will happen in terms of sensory experience, you might see a distant figure, sometimes a uh, clad in white in a wraith-like wrapping of some sort, uh, which also is older than you think. <laughs> but often people hear this before they see it. They hear something that sounds like 
uh, a person whose life has absolutely been broken, weeping, wailing, again, lamentation. And we're saying it again, but we want to emphasize that's why it's in the name. Yeah. I imagine if that's the first thing that happens, you're in the dark, maybe you're alone, you're just walking along a roadside and you hear that in the distance somewhere and it's getting louder and louder as you continue along the path, right? That alone, probably going to nope out, head the other way. I would, maybe, well, I'm not sure because maybe it's someone in trouble and that's, that's where the story really kicks in too, right? Maybe there's someone in need. Maybe there's someone that you could provide help for. Maybe you see a, a woman, a figure in the distance that looks like they're just crying their eyes out. Would you want to provide assistance and help? A part of you probably would, right? And what if you're in a different situation? What if you just saw a woman on a park bench who seemed to be doing the same thing, right? Would you help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to add to that, uh, you can see this idea of an explanation for an anomalous sound throughout culture. Uh, Matt, earlier, uh, you did some great stuff on the Indonesian cryptid, the Ahul, which is primarily identified by or known by its sound. We also see that as time goes on with this story that dates at least back to the time of Spanish contact, uh, we we see that the story has evolved. It's merged with other other stories that were once separate, but had enough in common that over the great game of telephone, they got kind of, you know, they, <laughs> they got multiversed. They got adapted and revised, right? And this, this kind of practice, the syncretism has happened way, way, way before Rick and Morty or Marvel films. Um, one thing that you might be hearing, fellow listeners, about the, the basic Lallerona story you might say it's missing a few parts. Doesn't she interact with people in other ways? You may have heard a more recent version that picks up the story of the ghostly hitchhiker, another very popular one in the West. Yeah, we've we've talked about this one briefly in a couple other episodes, but it's just the concept where a person is picked up, a hitchhiker, often a woman. So like you can kind of see where maybe there was some transition there. Uh, into this story, often a woman who's picked up by just a driver, any old driver, you probably, that's the idea, right? When you're hearing the story, maybe it's you picking up a hitchhiker. This person gets in the car, rides with you for a while until you reach the destination where they've asked you to go and you turn back as the driver and there's no passenger anymore. And you're like, oh, that's weird. She was in here. We, we haven't opened the doors. And then you find out through one means or another that, oh, the person you're describing has been dead for like 12 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. They drop you. You pull into the diner and the hitchhiker's gone. And they say, oh, that's right. It's May 14th. <laughs> like, it wasn't uh, 35 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 There's a great Tom Waits song that subverts this genre too, um, or plays with this called Big Joe and Phantom 309. Um, won't spoil it for you, but if you like this kind of story, this is a good one. Uh, there's also Pee Wee's Playhouse. Or oh, Big yeah. Adventure. Pee Wee's, March, March. One, of the, one of Pee Wee's does something like that. There's an entire episode from the new series of Unsolved Mysteries that deals with this happening in Japan. 
a specific version of the Vanishing Hitchhiker. We should totally do urban legends in Japan. There's some there's some pretty pretty fascinating stuff there. And I love the way you set the stage here, man, because we know there are variants of this as well, right? There might be um, a physical object left behind, you know, in older stories, it was two silver coins. Like you would put over your eyes at a burial. Traditionally you get, it's a little on the nose, but then there might be like a book, a scarf. Scarves are very popular. Um, the purse, the protagonist goes back to try to figure out who this mysterious hitchhiker is only to find the gravestone or, you know, surviving relatives or familiar humans and we're quite fortunate in that the vanishing hitchhiker legend was researched extensively by a folklorist named Jan Brunvand in the 1980s. It, it, it led to his book, The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings. And this might blow your mind because I, I think it did, at least for me when I learned this, the tale of the vanishing hitchhiker is older than automobiles. There were and I mean, it makes more sense too, because there could have been a real life event if you're in a horse drawn carriage, right? You pick someone up, horses are loud, roads are rough. Maybe they ducked out and you just didn't know. And now you're thinking it's a ghost. They just left behind all their stuff. But they could have just, you know, they could have just rolled out. Yeah. Why would they leave with the stuff in the carriage, though? Come on. To prove a point. (laughs) (laughs) Scare somebody. Yeah, Yeah. right. So horse-drawn carriages, that's where the ghostly hitchhiker comes back. And And the ghostly hitchhiker idea, a stranger ill met on the road, is a very ancient story. But this one has become one of the most popular American ghost stories because it keeps showing up in oral tradition and popular media. There are even police reports that appear to be at a loss to explain how a hitchhiker was there one moment, gone the next. Also, while we're at it, shout out to Jan Brunvand for being a huge part of coining the term urban legend. And he really, uh, he, he put some gas in the tank of uh, academic studies of folklore. So credit where it's due. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> Right. And like, so we've, I think we've established too, that the vanishing hitchhiker overwhelmingly often is a woman or a female identifying person who has met with misfortune. So it's not too surprising. I would argue that the hitchhiker and the weeping woman have enough commonality to at some point converge. Sure. Know? Well, what? why not throw in the hairy hand? Remember why that not? one? <laughs> why not? Do the hairy hand. Do the hairy hand one while we're by no, the we, campfire. I think we did a whole episode on that, or at least... <laughs> I yeah, think the hairy hands, right? They grab the wheel. Yeah. And they and they turn the, the... And it's right around the time cars come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh why not? I we'd love to hear all of your favorite urban legends. Uh, that's why you'll hear versions of the hitchhiker story that talk about picking up a lady by a bridge near the water, you know, things like that. Or she asks you to drop her off near the water or something like that. These things don't occur in a vacuum, but this this is a bit of a walk around the block to lead us to the question. Where does La Irona come from? You know, 
I don't know. Did it surprise you that the hitchhiker legend is literally older than the car? Because I'll be honest. Sure. I mean, yeah, it it surprised surprised me quite a bit. I think because we so closely associate it with driving a vehicle. And many of us, most of us, have only ever driven an automobile and not a carriage, right? (laughs) So, like, yeah, it makes sense that for us it's like, oh, sure, if there's a hitchhiker, there's a car involved. But yeah, no, maybe it's yeah. a hitchhiker on the back of your horse, pal. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of like if you heard a spooky story about an astronaut, you would assume there was a spaceship involved at some point. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. This is very real. Yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but so with all this in mind, we ask where this story, this legend, La Irona, comes from, then what we learn is the story is much much older than anyone might have imagined. We're going to take a quick break here, a word from our sponsor, and then dive in to the roots, the ancient roots of this story. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. All right. First off, you're going to hear a lot of versions of this that say, you know, uh, their cast of characters is a um, children who are led to misfortune, right? Whether by accident or by design, um, an indigenous woman, a Spaniard dude. Yes, but it goes back much older than that. And the roots that exist here in the commonalities with ancient characters, we're talking uh, quite old 
characters are pretty dang compelling. Specifically, uh, Aztec gods, Ben. That's That really fascinated me as we got into this. Figures that existed in Aztec mythology that La Llorona seems to mirror or at least uh, be uh, reverberations of. Mm, yeah, Mesoamerica is deep. We have to remember this civilization existed thousands of years before uh, Europeans were traveling there. This story is so old, in fact, that no one is sure when the first version happened. No, no one really knows. Uh, we can confirm written mentions, though, and that's even that just accelerates our Kaiser Sose uh, aspect of this, because, like you were saying. The earliest confirmed La Llorona story, we know it dates back to a written format in the 1500s. There are a couple of contenders. One is in 1550 in Mexico City, but it also, it has the air of a cover song. Dare I say, it sounds like it's referencing some other well-known work. And the written version this happens all the time with these stories. The written version is going to most likely be an adaptation or a retelling of a narrative that already existed. And so even in the modern day, folklorists and anthropologists all across the Americas and across the world are trying to figure out the pre-Columbian roots of this tale. And this gets to what you were talking about, Matt, ancient gods, things that are things that existed and were established parts of belief systems way before uh, the Spanish arrived. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and when we're talking Aztec gods, gods of fertility or goddesses, I think, of fertility and motherhood, uh, gods, goddesses of the earth. Really, really interesting stuff. I guess we can talk about Siwaquadal. That's one of the biggest goddesses that appears to have similarities when you're describing La Llorona uh, as, as a character, she was a goddess of motherhood, and she did some things that were pretty similar to La Llorona. Yeah, as a protector of children and also as a... Um, all right, I'm going to say something that's kind of weird, and a lot of people might not be aware of this, but from the sources that I read often in the Aztec belief system, accidents did not exist such that if for instance you and your buddies are out hunting in the woods and you accidentally injure one of your compatriots the legal system at the time treats you as though you did it on purpose because accidents do not exist so this gets really complicated and we're talking about accidents that befell children um Sihuacuatl is like, uh, it mean, it translates to like snake woman, which is pretty common when you talk about fertility gods or deities. Yeah. She has some really interesting, interesting stuff going on with her. So I, I want to get into another piece of the La Llorona story that exists in some versions of the tale. In some versions, uh, she's killed her children. She doesn't know they're dead, but her the bones of her children are somehow like fused into her back, right? Like, which is ugh, creepy, really creepy, messed up. They're literally physically haunting her while she is haunting this area, right? But uh, Siwaquadal, part of one 
tale about her is that she worked with Quetzalcoatl, who was like, I, 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 this is not correct, but in my mind, I think about Quetzalcoatl as like the Zeus of Aztec world, like the over God. Maybe I'm just completely wrong. That's how I visualize it. But she worked with Quetzalcoatl to create humanity as it exists in this realm, this epic, this version of humanity that we all experience in those tales. She did that by grinding up the bones of previous versions of humanity and mixing it with Quetzalcoatl's blood. And I thought that bone connection was really interesting there as like a tipping off point, somehow grinding the bones to make the human. Um, very, very strange. Oh, and this is the other thing. She apparently abandoned a child at a crossroads. Yeah, according to the lore. And there's a and and additionally, uh, the ruler of the Sihuatito, uh, which is the deified spirits of women who passed away during childbirth. And Quetzalcoatl is very uh, interesting to me uh, as the plumed serpent and, you know, the patron god of the priesthood and learning. So they're, they're generative deities, but, you know, all deities, virtually all deities, uh, end up being um, sources of potential destruction if they're sources of great generation, if they're great generative yeah. forces. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but but again, like Siwaquadl is thought to go back to that crossroads that I just mentioned, Ben, and cry, weep loudly. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And Siwaquadl is not the only Aztec goddess that has things in common with this stuff. There's another one, isn't there? Like Quatlicue or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also known as Our Lady Mother or Tenantzi. Uh This is it functions as both a um, significant maternal figure and as a monster who devours filth and sin. So this story, La Llorona, is much, much older. Like it, it also, okay, fast forward, the Spanish conquistadors come, right? And a real life tragedy plays a huge role in the modern version of La Llorona. It's La Malinche, uh, who is a Nahua woman who was enslaved by the Spanish and worked directly with the infamous Hernan Cortez. Uh, This is kind of a Pocahontas vibe. So this is a real historical figure, as far as we can tell, born sometime around 1500 and dying in her late 20s, most likely sometime around February of 1529. And just like the tragic real-life character of Pocahontas, or not character, the real-life person, Pocahontas, La Malinche is, she's an interpreter, she's an advisor, she's kind of a fixer as the Spanish go around contacting, conquering, you know, and infecting uh, Native peoples. She was one of 20 people given to the Spaniards in 1519 by Natives of Tabasco, and Cortez had a sexual relationship with her. She gave birth to his son, who is considered, I guess, symbolically one of the first mestizos. His name is um, Martin, I believe. Uh, and mestizo would be a term for people of mixed indigenous American and European ancestry. Uh, if you look at art over the centuries, then you'll see that this woman's reputation in the public sphere shifts back and forth over time. 
She is a thema- she's an archetype now, right? Uh, there are a lot of conflicting views about her. There are uh, paintings or works of art depicting her that have been moved according to protest. And she's often compared in literature to the like the real life La Irona, you know, and maybe maybe with her forced cooperation with the Spanish, maybe maybe she abandoned Mesoamerica. You know, maybe that's the abandoned child here. Mm. It gets it gets complex and symbolic, you know. Um, but we do have to mention her because she's associated with it now. But if you dive deeper, right, we have to remember she's almost certainly not the original source of the legend. We can say based on those that one text we mentioned right she's born in 1500 1550 this story is around right uh we know that people already were telling this story and th- this becomes a kind of cognitive hook upon which to hang the tale but we also know that there was another text called the Florentine Codex sometime in 1519 this is around and this doesn't ever Neither of these, by the way, ever use the phrase La Irona, but they have um, some very, maybe a bit of wordplay here, but some very revelatory, highly dramatic language uh, about a great catastrophe or disaster. And they, uh, in the Codex, outlays a series of omens that the locals can use to tell when trouble is coming. And I, I think we draw special attention to the sixth omen. Yeah, I can I just read it here. Uh, quote, the sixth omen was that many times a woman would be heard going along, weeping and shouting. She cried out loudly at night saying, Oh, my children, we are about to go forever. Sometimes she said, Oh, my children, where am I to take you? That's interesting. Where am I to take you? I guess if you're a soul seeking your, you know, you're passed over, but you're still here as some kind of spirit and you're looking for your children. How do you take your children anywhere? mm. There's a connection there. Oh man, Ben, I don't want to take us back to the Aztec times, but I think it's worth it really quickly. Uh, Back to Siwakwadl at the time when the, in the Aztec civilization, women who were going through childbirth were, considered warriors right if you're going through that battle of of bringing life onto the into this plane you're considered a warrior and if you happen to die in childbirth while fighting that fight uh you as a mother were celebrated as a fallen warrior and there was i forget the term for it there's a specific term for women who died during childbirth and they were thought to haunt uh, crossroads and look for children to steal them because they never got to experience being a mother. They like, perhaps they gave birth to a child and it survived, but they never got to experience it. So then they haunt those crossroads to find one, to find a child like you probably. Sorry. Just thought about that. again. It's perfect. Yeah. And also the Florentine codex describes the, the appearance of uh, of this figure of Sihuacatl as 
dressed in white with her hair as if she had horns crossed above her forehead. The original passage says that she was covered in chalk, a wood pier at night, dressed in white, walking and crying. I mean, how many coincidences does one need? Uh, this, okay, so there, there are these ancient myths. They've transformed over time, and we see this all the world around, throughout human civilization. A lot, not infrequently, these become the basis of modern folktales as well as modern religions. The character of the weeping woman of La Llorona has evolved through multiple iterations over the over the centuries, you know. And and just to just for anyone who likes rabbit holes, uh, you can find other examples of this. Uh, you can look at the tale of King Arthur, who is King Arthur is not just a real dude. King Arthur is a mixtape of several real dudes. And they're they're like their their greatest hits are all collected into this thing, and now that thing is, is King Camelot. Arthur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, and we're going to go to Renaissance Festival, uh, so we can so Matt and I can experience it firsthand. Right, my Deal? son. Are we going? My, my son just we went going? to Medieval Times for the first what? time. What? Yeah, dude. did he like it? Yeah. He uh, loved Bob's, it. Man. Uh, His night so cool. won. What up? What? The odds are kind of against you there. Good <laughs> yeah. job, bro. It's because he it's because he was the best cheerer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't been there in years, man. I, I um every so often I get that wild Dave and Buster's hair. And I'm like, ah, oh, let's go. What will it be like when I now do have twenty five or thirty dollars to spend on that mug? Shoot. You know what I mean? Roll into Dave and Buster's with a hundred dollar bill and be like, I'm the king of this place <laughs> for 15 minutes because <laughs> it adds up. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're gonna speed run DMB after this. So, uh, so another and not to ruffle feathers, folks, but another great example of how this oral communication works and and how it evolves into the written word. Just look at the early works of Christianity, right? In the very beginning, when people are still kind of creating the authorities uh, authorities to decide what is or isn't officially part of the Bible, what stories or anecdotes uh, do or do not belong in there, you're going to see a lot of stuff that comes from um, other belief systems. Maybe they pre-exist and they got translated into Christianity. Maybe they... Um, there are a lot of, no, wait, but this is totally our thing moments in organized religion. <laughs> and uh, there's another local example, and we'll keep this brief because you've heard about it if you listen to the show for a while. Uh, there are folk saints. San Simon is one. San Simon or Mashimon is a folk saint who exists in various forms, aspects, and iterations in the Guatemalan highlands. And his true background was obscured for a long time. If you do the digging, you see that before the Spaniards, before all this cross-cultural contact and conflict, uh, the entity called San Simon was actually a kind of mom, uh, a sort of a trickster mountain god responsible for floods and earthquakes and thunder and so on. That's the interesting thing about these stories. They're palimpsest. And if you peel back the layers, you're going to find, just like 
paint on a wall. You're going to find another couple of hues and shades beneath. But now we have to ask why this story stuck around so long. People are experiencing thousands, thousands of terrible, terrible things all the time. That's part of being a human being. So what is the difference here? Why do we still have this story? Why do people still believe they have seen La Llorona or some iteration in the modern day? Oddly enough, we don't always get to say this. Matt, I think we have some answers. Oh boy, do we. And we're going to tell you all about it after another quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so why though? Oh, you're asking me. I'm asking you. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Cheers. I'm drinking Gatorade. You're drinking orange juice. Yeah. I'm trying to get my stomach right. I'm trying to it's get my light. stomach right. right. <laughs> oh, <sorry>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so to answer this question, really, we have to look at some of the basic mechanics of storytelling as technology. So not just we're not just saying, hey, here are some campfire stories that people like. Here's how you scare kids. We're asking <laughs> why. We're asking why this happens. You know? Yeah. I love that. Hey, come here. Let me tell you how to scare kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Uh yes. Okay. So one thing we know is that people in general love connecting 
right? All, all people have what's sometimes called main character energy. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It means that human beings will tend to share stories that in one way or another remind them of themselves and their environment. So life for most of human history sucked. It was just, it was just not great. They're not saying it's perfect now by any means, but think about, um, think about this pregnancy and childbirth were some of the most dangerous parts of every single person's life. Infant mortality rates are nuts, right? And if you're a woman and you're pregnant or you're a woman, you're giving birth, then this is statistically, this is a point in your life where you are more likely to die than at almost any other point before your birth when you survived that one. Uh, so we know that people hearing these ancient stories would uh, tragically be familiar with miscarriages. They would be familiar with infant mortality. These things existed at a much higher rate than they do in many parts of the modern world. I do think we we should point out that when you read statistics about life expectancy in the ancient world, we all need to remember those are incredibly misleading. People did make it to old age back then. They certainly did. Uh, the problem was you were far more likely to die early, especially when you were a vulnerable little human being. Infant mortality, constant threat, malnutrition, disease, infection, plagues. As weird as it might sound in a world where most people live in urban environments now, a big enough animal just snatches your kid from the woods, you know, a jaguar in the forest, uh, you know, it could be a crocodile on the, on the shore of the Nile, just depends on where you live because the animals are out there and there were many, many more wild animals than there are today and many, many more than there will be next year, but next week parties next week. Uh, it really makes you understand with all of that, you know, going on in your life and everybody's life around you at that time, if you lived then, that the heartbreak that's at the heart of this story of a mother losing a child or a mother passing before her child, before she gets to meet her child, uh, that would be pretty normalized. It would be it would be a universal thing that everyone would have an understanding of. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you have not personally experienced it, you probably knew someone who had, right? Uh, and this is, this is a situation no one ever wants to be in. So that's the first part, the commonality. The second part in stories as technology is this, function. Stories like La Llorona stick around because they have a real-world function. Not for nothing. Does every single culture throughout human history have some form of boogeyman that roams the wilderness and, the, you know, the dangerous places at night looking for kids who are trying to be all Dennis the Menace and not thinking about what their parents tell them to avoid? These stories help adults impress safe behavior upon their children. It's, it's all about behavior modification. That's why these stories are around. You know, like, of course, people back then were the same as people now, for good or for ill. You might travel back centuries and talk to someone who you might watch them 
tell their kid, stay away because this, um, this deity might come snatch you, right? If you don't behave and listen to me. And then the kid may say, okay, and they go to bed and you're talking to this person. Let's assume it's not weird to them that you've traveled through time. And you say, hey, do you believe in this story? And they might say, no, man, of course not. What, what am I, 12? I don't believe in this. But if I can scare my kids away from the dangers of drowning, or I can ensure they don't walk into the woods and get snatched by something, then this is valuable. So I will propagate this story, which I don't think makes them bad people at all. No, I don't think so. Again, all you ever have to do if you're faced with that and feeling worried about some story you teach your children, just say Santa, elf, and he's got a shelf. That I mean, that's, come on, come on. Mm-hmm. We passed the line <laughs> a long time ago, right? And it's weird how quickly the elf on the shelf came around to normalize surveillance and erode the idea of privacy. That guy. Anyway, uh, you can you can play along at home if you like, folks, regardless of where you live in the world or regardless of where you come from or where you're going. Odds are you can think of any number of spooky stories that you were told in your given society as a kid, and you can identify those two factors again. Commonality, common fears, desires, motivations. And then real-world functions, warning against an activity, or like in your excellent case of Santa Claus there, man, uh, prescribing a series of incentives toward desirable behavior, right? You better let this guy break into your house, and you better be good the whole year before. The only crime you can aid in the entire year is helping this guy break into your house. And make it nice for him. Give him some snacks. Yeah, and if you're bad and you do bad things, you're not getting <laughs> And that's another question. I can't be the only one asking this. Wasn't coal way more important? Why was coal the bad gift? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like, if, if you're bad, Santa's going to pay our light bill. Like, <laughs> that's that's pretty think funny. Better, uh, there are better threats. Look, nobody asked us to help make this story. Um, If it was the 1600s and you were getting firewood for Christmas, it would have been like straight up cash money. Because it's a time saver. (laughs) Yeah. And okay. Well, it was a currency. Firewood was a currency. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And when the end times come, uh, please, please join us at Matt and Ben's Firewood Emporium. Unlike First Republic Bank, uh, we will honor oh, your deposit sandwich rolls of firewood. <laughs> so, unless those JP Morgan firewood guys get us. All right. Anyhow, uh, so we're not saying that these parents and these cultures are lying to their children for fun. As a matter of fact, many of us listening today may f- wholeheartedly believe in the La Llorona phenomenon um, or may have believed that we experienced it firsthand. The thing is, the belief is not the primary issue. It's not why this story is still around. The manipulation of behavior is the prime mover here. And now we get to the big question. I'm not sure how to address it. This is all speculation, but Matt, okay, we know we cannot pinpoint the origin of this story. We know that it endures because it has commonality and real-world function. Is it possible 
that this story has, like at some point, a grain of truth, a basis in truth. I I don't know. I'm on the fence, but I think yes, honestly. Yeah, I think so. I think loss. I think I think this story is about loss. This story is about not wanting to lose a child. I think that's exactly what it is. And you outlined it there. We're talking about these things. We're talking about Santa. We're talking about all of that. As a parent, once you successfully have a child and have them in the world, the worst thing that could ever happen is for that child to be gone, right? Uh, Specifically through death, you know. So as you said, these stories go back to a time when it was so easy to lose a child, you would tell them anything to protect them from the things you know are out there. And you, and I think it's a lot easier to make a child afraid of a ghost or a monster or a demon than it is to make them afraid of a leopard or a wild boar or, or you water know, or water. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because kids love water. But they don't understand currents yet. They don't understand a lot of the dangers of what water is. So you tell them stories about how dangerous that monster is that's in that water. Now I think I think that I think that explains it at least for for me. I see you, man. I I also think statistically, unfortunately, there is probably a uh, there is probably a basis in fact. I mean, imagine it like this. Sometime before the dawn of global communication, you, yes, you, are walking around. You're somewhere out there in the world, walking along the water, evenings drawing on, perhaps. And in the distance, maybe across the lake, the pond, what have you, the holler, uh, you see a woman. And she's beside herself with grief. As a matter of fact, you may have heard her before you saw her because she's very distant and you can't make out what she's saying, but she's clearly having a terrible, terrible day. You can tell that she's wailing. You can't get to her. You're on your way. She's very far away. And then maybe later you tell somebody else about it in your community. You're wondering if they saw it and maybe they did. Maybe they explain it to you and you forget about it. Or maybe someone just remembers the story and then days, months, years, decades later, they see something very similar, ticks all the boxes, single individual, probably a woman screaming. There have been deaths of children recently. And you start to wonder if this is related to that story you heard earlier. This is how these stories begin. It's the great game of telephone. It continues. Embellishments emerge, revisions, adaptations to make the narrative more directly reflect the current circumstances and fears of the age of which it's told. You know what I mean? Like, I, I honestly, I wonder how long we have as a society before Santa's bad gift becomes something else. You know what I mean? Like, how many, I don't know. A hand grenade, and when you pull the bow, it pulls the uh-huh. pin. Oh, wow, okay. Socios- sociopath claws. All right, yeah, yeah, I yeah, gotcha. yeah. It's, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, because we know the prevalence, because we know that these horrific accidents did occur, right, and continue to occur today, like how many people drown in uh, our local spot, Lake Lanier, every year, right? It's at least a few. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like someone in antiquity saw this happen, 
And this became part of the story that is told today. And with that, here's where we pass the torch to you, folks. We want to hear your take on other similar tales. What are some paranormal stories from your neck of the global woods? What do they tell you, and hopefully us, about the societies in which they exist? We cannot wait to hear from you. We hope. Also, let us know if you enjoy paranormal episodes. We love doing them. Um, well, and tell find- us your La Llorona encounters. Maybe you've had Ooh, one. Yes, perfect. Please do. Uh, and please point out anything you had that didn't seem to fit the official narrative. Uh, we we just want to hear your stories. And if we get enough, maybe we can make a maybe we can just make a show, all all with retellings of those stories because we do have great fun with it. We're grateful that you're here. And while we're asking you for stuff, we'd love to hang out with you online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the hits, conspiracy stuff, conspiracy stuff show, or some derivative of that just start googling those things and you know tell us where we end up yeah it is it is hard to find us sometimes on tiktok and instagram so make sure you plug in conspiracy stuff show in those two but matt what if someone listened to our episodes on social media and knows it's not worth it to play the dopamine casino uh well you're on the right track the next step is to call 1-833-STDWYTK. It's a voicemail system. You've got three minutes to say whatever you want. After that, it cuts you off. So you got to stay in that three minutes. Make up a cool name for yourself and let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. If you've got more to say that can fit in that three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.